Hello and welcome to End Goals, an LCMS Youth Ministry podcast. I'm host Reverend Mark Kiesling and I'm with DCE Juliana Schultz. We are here to bring parents, church workers, and lay leaders discussions and resources to help your youth ministry meet its end goal which is young people who are disciples of Jesus Christ for life. Today, we discuss helping young people and congregations manage conflict in a Christ-centered way. If you have tuned into any media outlet in the last month, you know we live in a divided country, um, certainly over a multitude of different topics. And it seems that conflict has sort of seeped into every aspect of our lives, from politics to schools and our neighborhoods. And the church is not without conflict. Sometimes conflict could be rather minor, uh, part of a growth process or an honest wrestling with how to follow God's path as a congregation or as individual Christians. Other times, Satan is at work destroying unity in the church and trust and relationship are damaged. This piece of conflict was something that we saw in our research that we did with LCMS young people. And that Research showed that young adults who left the LCMS were over twice as likely to say that the church they attended in their youth handled conflict poorly. And that was when compared to those who are active LCMS members as young adults. So it was apparent that young people observe and react to how church church handles conflict and controversy. They observe how the love of Christ is extended among fellow believers and to those on the outside of the church when conflicts arise. They watch how Christians wrestle with the call to be peacemakers and to live out Christ's ministry of reconciliation. And they see the power of Christ's reconciliation when his people forgive one another and rest in Christ's peace. In our seven practices of healthy youth ministry, we talk about helping young people be resilient in their identity with Christ, especially as they build relationships with those who are different from themselves. And certainly they're going to be exposed to plenty of people who think look differently, who who have different cultures. Uh, All across um, our world, we have a a very diverse culture and it's only getting more diverse. And as they navigate disagreements in a humble and loving way, part of helping young people be lifelong learners and how they live out their vocation and share the love of Christ with those who um, maybe are just new to them or maybe people that they disagree with. We should expect that as youth live out their vocations, they're going to build relationships with people who oppose their beliefs. And we want youth to rely on Christ in those times to show the love of God to them. Conflict management is an important tool for all young Christians. To help us discuss conflict management in your ministry is Reverend Marty Haas. Reverend Marty Haas is a provisional licensed professional counselor and serves as assistant to the president of the Missouri District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. In his role, he is a resource to support the health of Missouri District church workers and congregations. A native of Indiana, Reverend Hawes served as a director of Christian education for 15 years before obtaining his Master of Divinity from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis in 2012. Reverend Hawes also has a Master of Arts in Mental Health Counseling and brings with him years of experience in counseling, reconciliation, and conflict management. Reverend Haas, welcome to the End Goals podcast. We got to hear a little bit about your biography, but tell us more about your vocations and other things that bring you joy. My vocations. Oh, gosh. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for inviting me. Um, I guess I can start with saying that Mark and I met a long time ago through my youth ministry work in the Indiana district as I was drawn into the LCMS work uh, sort of globally. Yeah. So um, I was involved in servant event hosting for National Youth Gathering uh, stuff. Uh, I was involved in 
hosting a uh, sermon event in our congregation. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of youth ministry that I uh, was involved in. Of course, obviously there are 15 years. But um, then as I grew, uh, my family grew. We had three babies and I thought, you know, I want to chase my own uh, babies, <laughs> my own kids. Uh, so as I, I kind of grew in maturity to in ministry, just wanting to help congregations, uh, families grow, not just the youth themselves, and think about how to help that. Uh, so I went to the seminary and also kind of that helped me aim at the focus of reaching people who don't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because it's my supposition, my assumption that growing in Christ also means that when we're reaching people and serving people, that's a growth uh, that drives us and motivates us very strongly. So that's kind of what drove me into uh, my uh, work there at the seminary and then being a pastor. I was in the church planting track at the seminary. And so as I went to uh, Eisleben Lutheran Church in Scott City, which is in the southeast part of Missouri, uh, I was able to actually think about how to uh, help the congregation grow during a time of, uh, of difficulty. And so that's actually what drove me to uh, get the master's in counseling, because I wanted to figure out how to deal with stress and anxiety in the church and help uh, deal with the conflict that we're bringing Jesus to a world that doesn't know Jesus. Right. So there's a conflict of values there that's inherent in bringing the gospel so for a congregation that is now 170 years old, you know, we still have the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, and how do we do that with as a small church? So, you know, youth ministry took on a different flavor, a different feel. And so that was um, a significant part of my life in the last uh, nine years or so. And now our house is filled with teenagers. <laughs> you know, those babies that uh, we had a long time ago are... Uh, our oldest one is 18 now, and uh, you know the next one's moving up to 16, and then the next one's moving up to 14 here all this season. So I'm living youth ministry. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Everyday vocation. <laughs> Everyday vocation, and it's filled with conflict. Uh, it's just... <laughs> no. Teenagers in conflict with their parents? Oh, my word. That's... Uh, I, I still have my parents' words ringing in my ear. What, this is the best and the most difficult part of living <laughs> is having kids. So, uh, but it's awesome. It's it's just awesome to have teenagers in the house. So it's great. That's awesome. Well, we uh, certainly. I mean, you kind of touched on it and talking about your vocations, um, and one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the podcast. We, uh, I heard you recently. I think Juliana maybe did too a little bit. You were part of a, a district youth or excuse me, district church worker conference that was taking place. And you talked about just some of the conflict, you know, churches and church workers are dealing with, whether it's COVID, elections, a lot going on. And I think you hit on something. Um, when we think about the church being a place that's welcoming to not only the brothers and sisters in Christ, but also as we reach out into our communities, the church can be such a place for healing and peace for people. And sometimes in our world, there's not a lot of that going on. And, and we realize, like, like we said in the introduction, not all conflict is necessarily bad. Growth can come from tension. Um, and maybe when conflict isn't matching, managed well, there can be issues. And we, we know unresolved conflict can tear away at family relationships and the unity of the body of Christ. So in, in your current and in your past roles, um, when you've been called into a number of situations where conflict exists, 
what do you think about what, that you want to teach on? Is that kind of some basic things? Or if you walk into an opportunity for reconciliation, what are some of the basic scriptures or theological concepts you lay before others? First thing that comes to my mind, Mark, is be still and know that I am God. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's research behind being still that uh, tells us that when people are calm in the midst of conflict, it actually produces uh, calm in other people. Mm. So being quiet is also part of that calm. So Dr. Sue Johnson is a researcher in uh, my main area of expertise in counseling, which is emotionally focused therapy Mm. um, in helping people in conflict with each other uh, to build the connections that bring peace and joy. Um, You know, it's a secular piece of research, but they're just observing that when we are calm, when we quiet our voices, when we slow down, that we actually uh, build an environment in the relationship that produces the same thing in somebody else. So there's scriptural precedents for that. Uh, We are told that uh, in the epistles, as we are uh, even keeled, let let that even keeledness be evident to other people. Um, it's almost as if we have to act as if Jesus reigns and rules, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that's actually a counseling technique. When you think about, um, you know, being in front of somebody who is uh, having hopes and dreams of a better existence and a better mm-hmm. relationship. Sometimes when you ask people to just pretend as if you already have it and, uh, mm-hmm. You know, it uh, helps a person to uh, release some of the bind and the expectation and the um, obligations that, the, you know, causes all kinds of consternation. So those, those are some first things. What a beautiful thing to be able to teach teenagers, especially as, as they go through life and as they're wrestling with a lot of um, high emotions, uh, new experiences, lots of transitions in that. Uh, that's uh, really helpful to think about as we think about how we care for young people in that when we have crises, when we have tough conversations and we have conflict to walk into that with a sense of calm um, and to bring that calm to them that we're going to navigate through this. That's, uh, I love that. Well, you mentioned uh, teenagers having a lot of high emotions. Uh, It's totally true. Um, You know, they're very sensitive. They're, hormones have just kicked in and opened up uh, their world. And so they're very sensitive. And so as we think about kids being in conflict and youth managing this kind of thing, the the reaction that adults have Mm. is super important. Mm -hmm. And acting with calm and peace helps the youth. And then at the same time, what brings them into that is probably one of your questions that you posed to me earlier. Um, that, you know, what do you do if you're an adult and you have kids uh, around you that either in the church or in your own household that are feeling these kinds of conflicts? What can you do to help them to have the feeling of calm? It's not just yourself, you know, bringing that uh, gospel message that Jesus does reign, but it's also some behavioral kinds of things, such as actually initiating play. Mm. It's not just the distraction, it brings to bear sort of incarnationally, live and in person, the fact that we can actually have joy in the midst of conflict 
right now where maybe in the background there's just some part of life that's just crappy. Uh, and so initiating play with them helps them to recognize that you're okay and they're okay. And it's a message that then we associate to the truth of what Jesus has done and how he has accomplished uh, stability for us in the midst of, you know, waiting for the paradise to show up. <laughs> so, so a number of things we can do. So one thing that we wanted to do as, um, you know, we're talking here with a lot of youth ministry practitioners is to maybe focus on some of the context that might bring conflict in a congregation and maybe again, give some more of those, like you just talked about some practical insight on how youth can be supported and maybe even possibly be asked to lead in some situations. Um, and one situation is when conflict happens amongst the church leadership or maybe the adult membership of the congregation. And the situation is probably maybe known in the church or is being discussed in families or small groups and might be starting to tear away at the unity of the congregation. And one thing that we certainly saw from our research and probably know from your own experience in the church is youth pay attention to that. <laughs> we might think they're, we might think they're not involved in it, but they're paying attention and they're watching. So is there any special advice you would give to those who work with youth in a situation where the congregation is going through maybe some damaging conflict and youth may feel that they are a bit on the outside looking in, but yet they can definitely see it happening. Is there any steps you would give to those, uh, whether it's a pastor, DCE, layperson, parent working with young people and give them advice on that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, you're right, Mark. Teenagers are extremely observant and there's silent observers. There's silent actually participants in the conflict. And you don't necessarily realize that by virtue of your adult conflict, the kids are also participating and, and you can't hide that. It's as much as you try to, kids are very, um, you know, it's like they got radar antennas up all the time. And then they wonder, they just don't have answers many times, which actually causes more conflict for them. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple different things that I've thought about in answering your question here. Um, adult conflicts are painful for teenagers. Mm -hmm. um, as kids watch these things and hear these kinds of arguments and debates in the church, uh, depending on the intensity of those uh, expressions of conflict, uh, the kids can be experiencing what's called secondary traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. So anytime you're watching it with somebody else, or it, it's not necessarily your conflict, but it's somebody else's, people always say, oh, we'll just ignore it. Well, <laughs> it's easier said than done, actually, because of mirror neurons. So I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but mirror neurons are something that's been studied uh, with regard to how people feel when someone else is exhibiting uh, emotional expressions. Hmm. And, and so mirror neurons are firing, and unless, you're, um, unless your mirror neurons don't fire, which is the case of a person dealing with autism spectrum hmm. disorder, um, you're gonna feel what somebody else is feeling. Mm -hmm. You may not necessarily be drawn into the conversation. Somebody may not be asking you to describe what you're feeling, what you're experiencing while you're watching that, but youth actually experience pain while their parents or somebody else in the church is uh, expressing that. So we want to kind of be careful with how we assume that kids are not a part of conflict. They are drawn into it yeah. um, because they're feeling it and you are responsible to help them through that because 
either you're the parent or the volunteer youth person, uh, you can't just ignore stuff that's been publicly described as conflict. Um, you know, when it's when it's gone public like that, uh, you know, you just got to deal with it. And so it's super useful to talk to the the leaders of the church to say, OK, this is happening uh, and you're the one that's the elected leader here to deal with this stuff. And so when we think about our youth, I need to have a couple things to say to them that explain what's going on. So there's some coordination that needs to happen and some organization. You can't just wing this. You've just got to get your ducks lined up. And when we don't uh, do some of these few steps of organization and, uh, and kind of pull some plans together to address this, then we make it actually chaotic for kids. Um, and then it makes a, a worse mess of it because then they're, they're thrown into a chaotic uh, sort of state of um, assurance, which means that they don't have assurance. They don't know that there's stability in their congregation. And that's super traumatic for people. Many times I deal with this, uh, Mark, and it's just, it's a real mess because people begin to make assumptions. They begin to fill in the gaps they, of information, of what's happening in their relationships. They are also, and this is super important, they are also bound to make judgments. And, and we don't really want kids to make judgments. We tell people, don't judge. But you know what? We're human people. Right. Um, you, you can't tell, uh, you can't expect people to be robots. Uh, we are going to look for our secure base, our security people, and the adults in our congregation in conflict. If if they're not sensing or, or giving off the vibe that they're secure and that they're in conflict, the kids are also going to feel that. Right. <laughs> uh, the the students and the, the youth. So you got to get yourselves organized because it's a uh, it's a first article gift uh, to be human. God causes us to be, you know, human. He's the one who makes us. And so we don't want to um, kind of put people down for feeling the, uh, the pain of other people. What we can do is we can help them to uh, process that with the word of God. Mm-hmm. You know, just as an example, um, you know, the two of you are interviewing me uh, and you're part of the body of Christ. But, you know, as you ask me to be a part of this thing, I automatically wonder what's going on, (laughs) you know, right. You know, you can't stop that kind of stuff. So, you know, we're asking on on the podcast. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Say that again, Juliana. (laughs) Oh, it's it's speculation on conflict over the podcast. (laughs) You know, it's live and in person right here, you know? Yeah, uh, but not- you're absolutely right. You know, people, yeah. people already make those, those judgments and assumptions. That's right. Yeah. So basically, that's why you have the obligation to manage it. And stewardship is a good thing, obviously. We talk about that in the church. So when you think about what's happening in conflict, you're stewarding your emotions. And you're helping students to steward their emotions. There are four main emotions that people experience across humanity. Uh, And this is going to be pretty easy because there's some alliteration to it. Mad, sad, glad, and then fear, of course, is the one that doesn't match. But maybe somebody can come up with a better way to say that. 
but mad, sad, glad, and fear. And, you know, the, uh, the thing that actually helps people to uh, get through this kind of stuff is when we are together, when we have empathy, and we acknowledge these feelings. Uh, people just so many times don't want to acknowledge how mad they are. They use sanitized words like, oh, I'm just frustrated. You know, okay. <laughs> Let's stop pretending now. Um, you're mad. Such and such has happened. There's a conflict. You're mad. You feel mad. And then you stop talking and let them feel it so that you don't ignore it. You acknowledge it. And then we approach the throne of grace and we ask God to help us through this moment. So the organization that is super basic is simply to listen to each other and to pray. When, when people go there, they, according to the scriptures, can have the peace that passes all understanding that guards their hearts and their minds through Jesus Christ. So, you know, there's a lot we can do that is super simple and, and it's just a little bit of organization. Yeah. But you need to kind of get some things down. What does the leadership of your congregation actually want you to say so that you can have a unified voice and you know where the borders are? You know where the lines are. You don't cross those lines into areas that are confidential and private. Mm -hmm. and, and when you have that question, because everybody's going to ask the question, say, for instance, you've got a youth group of five kids, right? And on Sunday morning, you're doing Sunday school with those kids and you're the volunteer, and they start asking questions about this stuff. And, and then you realize they're asking you to cross the boundary of what you can disclose and what you can't. And so that's a moment where you talk about what can we disclose? You know, it is an American value to have full disclosure. It is not scriptural. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, yeah. everybody wants to have, you know, full disclosure. You know, we have all these inquiries in, in Washington, D.C. We've got... What happened with the election? Let's let's bring in a, a a group of people, a committee of people to, you know, drag everybody in front and you know have them spill the beans. But in the church, we recognize that we have other things going on too. Mm -hmm. What about the rule of um, respecting each other? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about the the guidance of God to demonstrate care for the person who's downhearted or or mistreated? You know, we're not just willy-nilly able to just, you know, say what we want. And so in that moment, when a youth asks that question, you get to talk about it. You get to talk about how God guides us to express respect for the people that are undergoing lots of uh, distress. And then we get to pray for those people. So, you know, there are some Bible verses you could use in that Sunday school time or that Bible study time or whatever. Make sure that you have the words of the scriptures to address some of these kind of things so that you're not going alone. If you feel yeah. like you're going alone and you're, you know, you're going to get questions by kids about what's happening with whatever, blah, blah, blah. You're going to have this pressure to be the answer person. And that's not necessarily a, a wise expectation of yourself. Mm. You know, you're not, uh, you're not there to, disclose everybody's problems or whatever. And this is kind of another opportunity to talk about social media. <laughs> sure. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. How many times have we seen that just go really badly and adults are drawn into it. So then we get to talk about the sin that, 
uh, of hurting and doing damage when we're actually trying to be helpful to each other. Mm -hmm. So my encouragement for a lay volunteer person working with youth is, first of all, just rest in the arms of Jesus and recognize that you're okay. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do have the love of Jesus to give to kids and comfort them and guide them because they're going to be drawn into this distress. Right. So did that kind of help answer? Or it did. Yeah, I appreciate both the two sides of saying it's okay to be um, honest and that this is going to impact the young people and we can have a cohesive message from our leadership about what we're doing in response to that that's appropriate, but that also affirms that you're right, not everything is out in the open um, and that, that there are things that, um, that we don't appropriately, like confidentialities that we keep. And I, I think sometimes we underestimate young people's ability to understand that mm-hmm. <laughs> and to respect that um, because in some ways it tells them that if they were ever in a situation in the church where they were in conflict, um, that they could also expect both honesty about how it's impacting other people, but also confidentiality. And I think that builds trust with the leadership. Mm-hmm. Juliana, that's a very good point. And I probably should clarify something there too. Um, I run into this quite often because of my work in the district. You know, I uh, sometimes, let me rephrase, I a lot of times am drawn into help people that are in conflict in groups, but not everybody in the congregation knows about the conflict. So you're stuck trying to figure out, okay, uh, is this confidential or is this public? <laughs> um, sure. When, when youth talk in Sunday school, um, you know, or you start having an icebreaker or an opening question that kind of helps open up the conversation, or you begin with a little bit of a game and whatever, and then people are feeling a sense of security where they can share, you know, how, how it's going, you know, how's life going right now? And they start sharing these kind of things. You'll know what's, what's, you're able to have permission to talk about because they'll share it in the room. So you don't have to start saying, Hey, you know, this is what we know. <laughs> you don't have to start yeah, opening yeah, up your right. mouth and start sharing details. Um, and so you address what's in the room, generally mm-hmm. speaking. And in that case, you're able to start talking about those things. And then you say, if there are any questions about what we've talked about today that you don't feel comfortable asking in public, you know, in this group, and you want to ask me afterwards, that's, that's fine too. That enables you to keep confidential what was discussed in the room, if it needs to be, because we talked about it as a group and there's still, you know, those people in that room are still some people that are burdened with that topic. And so it's likely that they're going to want to talk a little bit about, you know, things like that, but you give them an avenue. You say, Hey, I'm available after class. I'm available, you know, and it's super useful to make sure that you have the parent support mm-hmm. It's if you're if you're going to begin to address something that is a major conflict in the congregation and the youth are drawn into that topic or something's happened with their youth leader or their pastor and it's a publicly embarrassing kind of incident that has been uh, alleged, then you want to make sure that when you address the group that their parents are there. 
you don't want to assume that the parents are going to be okay with you talking about these things. Um, you know, you really need to kind of get permission and, and just follow your protocols of uh, what would be orderly in the congregation. So you want to think that through. So there are a number of different things that you can actually deal with, like storytelling. Um, when people have incidents of trouble or conflict, you, you want to limit storytelling because people will experience more trauma the more you hash over the thing. So it, it escalates people's incidents of, you know, anxiety and depression, and it exaggerates things, you know, because you started off talking about how sensitive kids are. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> you can't control what they think or what they say. So you want to kind of be careful how much storytelling you do. Uh, stay with the scriptures, you know, help kids to think through what is God saying about this topic? Um, not so that you can judge the person or the alleged, you know, incidents or whatever, but so that you can care for people in that way and how, talk about how God has cared for them and then keep it within the care format of, of God's people. Reverend Haas, I really appreciate it. I think two things I heard just talking before is about uh, the need for empathy um, in conflict resolution and, and kind of understanding maybe the situation within the boundaries that are there. But the, really also like, too, I'm sure that you could, we could talk a lot about this, but is, you kept using kind of the term of having kind of that coordinated, planned approach for communication um, and consistency there. And so maybe want to shift here a little bit, go back to your DCE days, uh, doing youth ministry in the congregation. Um, and to talk about like, how can we prepare ourselves for when conflict happens like say within the youth ministry itself and and this could be you know some big picture things that are happening relationally but it could be just over maybe an event that's coming place and you got you know maybe tired people or an incident that happened that creates conflict and how um how do you deal with the conflict but then also how can you have that situation be a learning opportunity for young people as well and like i really liked how you're kind of talking about that like i got imagine in a congregation if you go through that planning it's got to help drive people to understand themselves better, the conflict better, and then Christ's place in that and the resolution that comes. So I don't know, anything that you would give, like actually within conflict, within the youth ministry amongst the young people themselves uh, for our practitioners? Sure. You know, I would say preempt it. When I was uh, living the DCE life, <laughs> uh, if I can say it that way, you know, I was always introducing the, the conflict <laughs> topics okay. because, you know, it's just part of life. Yeah. You know, I mean, kids are living this stuff that you think about. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so you're not hiding anything from uh -huh. these kids. Uh -huh. It's just that sometimes the kids are ignorant about the details of what is uh, kind of behind the scenes or, or why these are common issues because people haven't talked about them. And so I would always preempt topics that are controversial or uh, anxious, you know, subject matters like talking about sex or relationships, especially nowadays with genders. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Kids are thrown into these topics at, at school. And, you know, it's 
a year later that you want to put it on the topics to talk about in Bible class or something. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, these kids are asking some very serious questions because these are regular uh, things that we just haven't got ourselves organized mm -hmm. to talk about. And so preempt all those topics, help build resilience in youth. You know, people, it's said that people only rise to the level of their training. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what happens if you train kids to help other kids that are feeling like they want to hurt themselves? Mm -hmm. You know, I was a part of that when I was a Lutheran high school of Indianapolis. And as juniors and seniors, we had already been through our first two years of um, our religion class of Old Testament, New Testament. And then as juniors and seniors, we had options to go into peer ministry. And it's different than what peer ministry is talked about here in the Missouri district, uh, which is more of an outreach program uh, of, of sharing and witnessing. But for us, it was training on how to help uh, you know, peers when they're in distress. So we would be trained on how to listen empathetically without giving advice and without judgment. And then we also had some training in that um, those two years on how to help people or help our friend during a time when they thought they were going to hurt themselves. And I remember I talked to a friend of mine through that moment of mm -hmm. suicidal ideation as a teenager. Right. And I felt super competent because my teacher prepared me. Yeah. I was I was calm in that moment because I knew what to do. And here I was, 17 years old. Okay. Um, you know, those trainings always preempt the kind of conflict uh, in a way that lets them be confident in the minute of that, in that moment. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just being proactive, intentional, uh, just getting in there with the kids and asking them what's going on with life mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. uh, not being afraid because, mm -hmm. you know, these things are happening. Uh, Bible study helps you. You know, if you've got a regular Bible study with teenagers in some way, shape or form, then you have an open door to preempt all these conflict issues so that when it does happen, what you're actually probably going to be surprised is how well they're handling it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, there is so much. To, I, I love that idea of being prepared mm -hmm. for those things and preparing our young people. I don't underestimate their ability to navigate a lot of really difficult content and, and um, topics in a way that um, em empowers them to go out into the world. I, I yeah. love that idea of, of getting it up in front of that. I think there's, uh, sometimes we are hesitant to do that, but as you just said, like it, it really does bear out when they do get that, that challenge and that conflict in other places. Yeah. One thing I want to say too is uh, I read Carl Vader's book recently on small church essentials. That was extremely affirming for a pastor working or serving in a congregation that was a smaller sized church. And um, it really helped to get rid of the concept of youth group is large mm -hmm. and only large. And that, that, you know, concept of failing as a youth worker in a congregation, if you don't have enough people to actually make a group out of it. I mean, it, it was never the case that we would have a group uh, in eight and a half years of being at Isolaven. It was always more the case that we had a unique group. We had great kids, but we had a very unique dynamic 
Mm-hmm. And, and confirmation class was different every single year I was there. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It was either zero, one, two, three, or 25 kids. It was always different. Yeah. And so, you know, you're, you've got uh, a lot of things to, to adjust to in that case. But because you're in a small church, you also have a lot more ability to, to make modifications based upon the needs of kids and, and provide resources. So the one thing I wanted to say about that is whatever you do, do not abandon kids. Yeah. Uh, abandonment is the worst thing you could do. And abandonment is sometimes just simply keeping your mouth closed abandonment is sometimes um, saying, oh, we'll just get through it. They don't need to know any information or whatever. That's, that's abandonment. Um, You know, you want to give people resources. And so you want to stick with kids, be present in their life and allow uh, some of the resources around you to be a resource to those kids um, and love them all the way through the conflict. So, you know, it's just, don't run the other way. <laughs> right. Well, and, and to finish up, I mean, thanks for all your insight to this point. But one thing we certainly want to say is what other resources would you suggest for our audience if they want to read or study or receive additional training in dealing with conflict? Um, whether I know you probably got things specifically for the Missouri district, but we've got people from across the LCMS that listen. Um, so what other things would you put before them as resources? Well, I'm going to make the assumption, first of all, that you have the authority to be involved in youth in their, in their lives and ministry mm-hmm. already. Um, if you don't, uh, you want to get that authority. So that gets permission from uh, parents and, and pastors, uh, leaders that are officially uh, elected leaders. Uh, then once you have that permission, then most certainly dig into the resources I wouldn't say Google it. I would say, first of all, you know, go to the youth ministry e-source. For there you the, go. Hey. You know, seriously. Like you know, I mean, seriously, it's there's so many resources out there and there's so many people that are involved in doing youth ministry. Mm-hmm. But be patient, you know, be persistent. There are tons of stuff out there. But, you know, look for the things that, first of all, our Lutheran Church produces because sometimes we start running around looking for things on the internet when it's already been produced and designed for the people within our own church body with our theology, with our teaching. So you don't want to confuse kids by running to resources that certainly start talking about uh, a way of being Christian that is confusing. Um, I'm not saying that because I'm trying to be proprietary about our LCMS theology, (laughs) but honestly, it does confuse kids. And so you want to be able to get some guidance. If you want to talk about, for instance, things that are Christian that are outside of our church body, you want to get some information first. Uh, Talk talk to some people, um, you know, of course, get your permission from your authorities because you don't just want to willy nilly start introducing things that your church leaders are unaware of you keep them up keep them up to speed keep them abreast at the the different topics and and subjects and materials because if you want to use a different resource get the guidance of your pastor to say okay what are what are the holes in the theology of this thing so that i can at least be aware if i'm going to lead my youth astray or our youth um into different kind of things that they're just not used to it's not leading them necessarily astray away from god as much as it might be leading them astray as in into topics that we don't have a lot of conversation about that's going to leave these kids wondering what what's happened here. 
And that, that happened to me when I was in college a little bit. I, I discovered some friends that were more of a charismatic uh, flavor of Christianity. And I had never had anybody talk about it. So I went back to my pastor and he just sort of blanketly said, well, that's just not what we do. Okay, well, that, that wasn't necessarily helpful because I just needed information. <laughs> I wasn't trying to run from our, our theology or anything. Right. Um, I just never had any experience with it. You know, um, so being persistent to think of these things in the long term. Uh, working with youth is not a short-term deal. It's always a long-term right. thing where you're consistently in their lives with the Word of God and prayer and uh, and loving them. So, yeah, just hang in there. Keep going. It's great stuff. Well, thank you so much for the time that you gave us today. Um, you gave us so much to think about. I really appreciate uh, your take on this um, and the way that uh, gives some fabulous instruction and direction to um, youth practitioners across the country about how to think about um, handling conflict and plan and preparing for dealing with that as it comes. Cause it will. Yeah. You know, another thing I probably need to say also here is just the difference between trauma and conflict. There mm -hmm. is definitely a different way of approaching that. So yeah. if you're dealing with situations that are high intensity then approach that differently. Give me a call and we can talk it through. <laughs> yeah. So much. I think we could go on for days. I, I so appreciate everything you've been sharing with us. It's been fabulous. Yeah, it's good times. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 that blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Uh, Jesus reminds us that we're blessed because Jesus himself, the son of God, brought peace and reconciliation with God through his death and resurrection. Uh, we are going to fall short of forgiving and showing mercy like our Heavenly Father. Uh, we're going to get involved in conflict. <laughs> we are going to sin against one another. Uh, and we recognize that Jesus forgives us. Jesus also reminds us that the life of a peacemaker on earth is a great blessing. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to see conflict handled in a Christ-like way uh, in our personal relationships, in our congregations, in our youth ministries. Uh, and it's wonderful to see broken relationships restored because that's the power of the Holy Spirit at work. So as Christians, we don't have to run away from conflict. I love uh, Reverend Haas talking about how we can preemptively prepare for it um, and be in the scriptures about it to kind of give us a buffer and an opportunity to discuss it. And that's, again, the work of the Holy Spirit at work, that we confess our sin to God and other people. In faith, we receive Christ's forgiveness and reflect that forgiveness by speaking words of forgiveness to those who confess their sin against us. And we can also confront sin or conflict or conflict with the hope that the love of Christ will triumph in every situation and between people whom God loves. So much good stuff in this interview. I think was when the, uh, hopefully people uh, took some notes, got a lot out of, go back and re-listen. Uh, but certainly we want to bring up some, some closing questions for you. Uh, first, how can you be a, a calm presence with youth and others in your congregation, especially during times of conflict? Secondly, what plans do you have in place for coordinating with other leaders? to address congregational conflict honestly while respecting confidentiality. 
And what topics and trainings can you provide your youth to prepare them for the conflicts they're going to face in and out of the congregation? We will continue to keep you in our prayers as you grow in your capacity to manage conflict in relationships with people you love and in new relationships. Uh, Whether you're a parent, you're a church worker, you're a mentor to a young person, you play a vital role in providing an example of peacemaking uh, and maturity to the next generation of Christians. The love shown among fellow believers in Jesus Christ provides that tangible reflection of Jesus' love for us. Engel's podcast is a production of LCMS Youth Ministry and KFU Radio. To find out more about LCMS Youth Ministry or to find links to resources mentioned, go to kfu.org slash youth ministry. Thank you for listening and caring for the young people of our church.